Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you back to the Culture Watch podcast. This is a news and current events podcast from Speaking for Him. And the purpose of this podcast is to give a Christian perspective on current events so that as we are engaging with people and responding to these current events, we do so in a Christ-like manner and in a way that encourages and builds up our fellow Christians, but also our fellow Americans who we walk through this world with. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Thank you so much for all who listened last week. It was very heartening to know that there are people that want to hear about these important issues. So without further ado, here we go. Our first news item of the day comes from a state that can't seem to keep itself out of the news, particularly its governor, Gavin Newsom, the large state of California. One of America's most liberal governors is declaring war on the Second Amendment. Gavin Newsom wants to change the Constitution to curb your gun rights. What do we need this 28th Amendment for? Well, California's gun death rate today is 73 percent lower than Texas. These federal judges want to turn America into Texas. We cannot let that happen. The 19th Amendment to the Constitution that gave women the right to vote, it took 40 years or so. Do you think that the 28th Amendment, if it's passed, will it happen in your lifetime? I hope so. If you don't start, it will never happen. Their best. All right, Jessica, uh, there's no denying that restricting the Second Amendment is very popular uh, with Democrat voters. Is this his play to the White House? It definitely feels like a waiting in the wings <laughs> moment, right? Everyone's supporting Joe as it should be, but he's soaking up as much national attention as possible. But it, it is also something that will not only energize voters, but something that a lot of people want when you look at what he's going for. And we should note at the outset, it's very unlikely something like this could happen. He needs 33 other states to do it. But he's talking about things that are popular with 90 percent of the population, like stricter background checks or waiting periods before you can get your guns. And I think that it's an important conversation to be having. And I think it's very smart and strategic, obviously, of the California governor to be doing it. OK, you know, Katie, um, I have a lot of friends in, in Texas and in southern states where kids grow up with guns. Yep. But it's interesting that Newsom also is thinking about raising the the age of possessing a gun from 18 to 21, as if an 18-year-old isn't mature enough, especially if that kid grew up using guns. Well, they've also shot that down in the courts already, where they've tried to raise the limit to 21 for both handguns and rifles. You can't do that constitutionally. You have to allow one or the other, just like you can't ban all concealed carry. You have to allow constitutional carry or some kind of uh, concealed carry through a permitting process. You can't just ban it all. Right. Um, but in terms of who he's talking to, it is just a political statement. It's not happening. You have to. It's a constitutional amendment. It's not something the president can do by himself. Not to mention getting all the states on board. And he, when I go to the range, I'm a minority, meaning as a white woman, I'm a minority. The majority of people who are buying firearms in this country are minorities and women. And so, when it comes to the Second Amendment, they think it's a cut and dry fifty-fifty issue. It's not. And we have millions more new gun owners in the past ten years. 
they're not doing that because the government's taking care of them. They're doing it because crime rates in their cities are going through the roof and they feel like they're being left behind and allowing criminals to run the streets and they don't want to be victims. And so I think he's talking to the to wrong constituency and it's just not realistic at all. Well, it's interesting that California had more gun crime, more total violent crime uh, than Florida and Texas, where gun laws are less strict. I mean, when we get into the issue of, you know, acting like gun reform is the solution to violent crime. Okay, there is several issues with this amendment. But first, I want to give some praise to Gavin Newsom. Yes, you heard that right. I want to praise Gavin Newsom because he is saying that he wants to add a 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And there have been many times when I have come to you at this microphone telling you that the liberal left does not want to go through the legal process to make the law the law. We've talked before on this podcast about how Roe versus Wade was fundamentally bad law because it did not follow the Constitution in the sense that it was a decision by judges which established law, which is not a provision in the Constitution. So this idea of adding an, an amendment is one of the primary ways that we add laws to our country. So I commend Gavin Newsom for that. However, let's look at the provisions of this 28th Amendment and then discuss them further, shall we? First of all, there are four main points to this proposed 28th Amendment, and I'm sure there's other stuff there too that you can probably look up on your own time, but I found these Four points on Gavin Newsom's website. And this is what it says. The 28th Amendment will permanently enshrine four broadly supported gun safety principles into the U.S. Constitution. Number one, raising the federal minimum age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21. Number two, mandating universal background checks to prevent truly dangerous people from purchasing a gun that could be used in a crime. Number three, instituting a reasonable waiting period for all gun purchases. And number four, barring civilian purchases of assault weapons that serve no other purpose than to kill as many people as possible in a short amount of time. Weapons of war our nation's founders never foresaw. And I want to take a minute and just look at each of these provisions individually and give my thoughts. The first one says raising the federal minimum age to purchase a firearm from 18 to 21. So you are going to tell me that someone who is old enough to fight for our country, to enlist in our armed forces, to make the decision to write that blank check to the U.S. of A., should not be allowed to own a private firearm. There is a problem with this. I think that if you can take up arms in the United States military, then you can own your own firearm. And whenever we approach these gun law issues, as with any law, but particularly in this issue, I think one of the things that bothers me is we are telling people 
that they're not capable of taking personal responsibility for their actions. And so we need to be in a situation where we actually do believe that people can take responsibility for their actions. And I think that the sooner you teach people to respect guns, the better off we will be. One of the things that Judge Janine says in the clip that we just listened to is that in the states where there's lower gun restrictions, there is lower crime. Let me say that again. In the states where there is lower gun restrictions, there is lower crime. And I think that is worth considering and worth thinking long and hard about. Myself, personally, I would rather be in a room with 10 people who are armed when one psycho comes in and starts threatening to shoot or does shoot up an area than I would be in a gun-free zone with the same scenario. My firm belief is that gun-free zones are some of the most dangerous places in America because it tells people who want to go on these shooting rampages, this is where to come to get away with it. To bring you back a couple months when the Nashville school shooting happened, it came out in the news that the shooter chose the school as her second target because the first target was too secure. So we need to keep things like that in mind. The second provision of this 28th Amendment is mandating universal background checks to prevent truly dangerous people from purchasing a gun that could be used in a crime. This may surprise Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom, but I do agree with him that dangerous people should not have guns. My fear, though, with this provision would be who gets to define what a dangerous person is. So unless you are going to define the term dangerous person, I can't get behind this provision because in a similar way as red flag laws, if you are going to say someone that has perhaps a history of schizophrenic behavior is a dangerous person. That is something that I can get behind. But if you're going to say that someone who has served in the U.S. military is by nature of their military service or someone who believes that Jesus is the way is by nature a dangerous person, then this provision of keeping guns away from dangerous people is a dangerous precedent to set. The third provision of the main four of this amendment to the U.S. Constitution is instituting a reasonable waiting period for all gun purchases. Again, this is not an unreasonable request. However, What you are doing is you are saying that the states don't have the right to institute their own waiting periods. A lot of times when people say 
that we need to enact more gun laws. They act like in the United States of America, we currently live in the Old West, that there's no laws and that we, or in particular whoever's speaking about gun control, has to be the one person to bring things back to a manageable state. But the reality is that we have a lot of laws on the books. And before you can talk about enacting quote-unquote common-sense gun control laws, you need to look at the laws that we already have and say, where are they failing? I've always said on this issue of gun control, if you can show me a particular area where our laws are failing, I am open to closing loopholes. But I think you set dangerous precedent when you make broad-sweeping declarations like this. And the fourth provision is barring civilian purchase of assault weapons that serve no other purpose than to kill as many people as possible in a short amount of time. Weapons of war our nation's founders never foresaw. I see two sides to this argument. First of all, I agree that there are certain weapons that we as citizens probably do not need to have. That being said, however, I don't think that a lot of the weapons that we consider assault weapons, case in point the AR-15, are really that, are really assault weapons. AR and AR-15 does not stand for assault rifle, as so many have been led to believe. The second side to this coin, however, though, is that by the logic that these Democrats are using that the Founding Fathers never would have foreseen the kind of weapons we have now, I would flip that back to them and say, yes, that's true. But they also never would have foreseen the weapons being used against us now. You see, if we as law-abiding citizens are only allowed to have muskets, but the criminals on the street are allowed to have high-tech weapons, there's no opportunity for us to defend ourselves. So I think there are some major problems with this proposed 28th Amendment, although I do think that it is the constitutional way to go about putting it forward. Now, of course, this would need to be ratified by a convention of the states where two-thirds of the states would agree, and so the likelihood of it being eminent is not that great. But I do think we need to be aware of this and be aware of the talking points so that we may articulate our position effectively. And in my final point on this particular issue, I just want to say this, that this amendment would be something that would go into the Constitution and be enshrined forever as something that the whole United States has to follow. And in our early days, the United States was more often referred to as these United States. There was a premium on states' rights. The federal government existed primarily for the defense of the United States. And most other issues were dealt with on the state level. So I really do believe that most issues 
including the way we deal with guns, should stay at the state level. Again, I'm open to discussions about this issue as long as they are framed in such a way as to say, what are our laws now? What laws are not working? And how can we change them to be more effective? But much of what is being discussed by Gavin Newsom in this proposed 28th Amendment is broad strokes. And I have a feeling based on his politics that many people in my family would be considered that dangerous person when it comes to getting a gun. And maybe they're not considered a dangerous person right now, but other less legislations and precedents could cause that idea to be put forth. It is always important to consider the ramifications of legislations and policy changes and not just the overarching good idea behind it. Not every good idea needs to become law. That is something that I have often thought and have, I'm sure, articulated on occasion behind this microphone, but it really is true. And again, I think the most important thing we can do for ourselves and our posterity is to learn how to effectively use firearms and to be safe with them. When I was a counselor at Brook Harris Camp, one of the things I did was lead riflery classes, and we had to lead the kids through, I think it was, like 10 rules for good riflery. One of them being never put your finger on the trigger unless you're ready to fire. One of them being uh, know your target and what is beyond it. One of them being always treat your gun as if it's loaded and so on and so forth. And I think that raising young people's awareness of guns and the seriousness of them and how to use them properly is far more effective than slapping layer upon layer of gun control upon people. Okay, now we're going to take a turn and give you a positive news story. And this is about a young girl who is a high school senior who recently graduated who used her platform as a valedictorian to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Got a couple of points from the speech itself. I want to play this and hear what was going through your mind as you were writing this. Even if you accomplish all of your dreams or none of them at all, you are still valuable and you are still good enough because you are made in the image of God. Why'd you write that? I think honestly, I'm speaking to myself. Um, that's something that I've always wrestled with was putting my identity in everything but Jesus. And especially when it came to my grades, like as a valedictorian, like I pushed myself a lot to succeed academically. Um, and I just, I wanted people to know that no matter what happens in your life, no matter if you do everything that you've ever hoped and dreamed for, or if you do none of them at all, like that's, that's not what it matters. What matters is that you are valuable because God made you. Here's another point of the speech. You don't have to worry about whether or not you'll be successful because God promises that his grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. That's how you closed it out. Listen to the applause. That's so great. And I feel like 
there were so many graduates and yeah. and their parents and their families that were there that in that moment were so thankful for those words. Mm-hmm. Whether they have a belief in God or not, have ever met Jesus, have ever had that relationship, they needed to hear it. No, yeah. your thoughts behind that, what, you, what we just heard. Well, I was, I was just really hoping to get the point across that, like, as we're transitioning out of high school and into college, like, you're going to have these dreams, you're going to have these ambitions that you really want to succeed and get, but even if you don't, that that's not gonna that's not gonna end matter in the end, and that's what I really wanted these graduates to understand was, no matter what happens, no matter what you go through, if you get all your uh, goals, if you don't like that, God, He loves you, and He is the only thing that will ever satisfy. Like even if, if you place all your identity and all your value in what you accomplish, you're never gonna be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus can do that. Our next motivational speaker is in the house. <laughs> Lydia Owens is such an inspiration. It was so gratifying for me to hear that she was making national news for giving that speech at her public high school in North Carolina. So I just wanted to take the time to salute Lydia and to agree with her that the true measure of success is in following Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. And even if we fail seemingly at everything else in life, if we follow the Lord Jesus, he will show us the way. He will give us direction. We are told to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. That is the key to success. And if if you look up Lydia, you will find even more about her story. I'll have the video on the blog for this podcast. Just look for culture watch episode two on the blog and I will have the video link because she does detail a little bit more in this radio interview. Some of the struggles that she went through uh, to lead her to give this empowering speech as a valedictorian. And I just love the fact that that valedictorians are standing up. I saw another speech by a young lady from Texas who who used her whole valedictory speech to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if that one was a public school or a Christian school. We can be confident that if we continue sharing the truth with the next generation, they will continue on with the hope of Jesus Christ. And... I was really convicted about that when I started speaking for him, the need to make sure that the gospel continues on to the next generation. And we've lost some pretty uh, powerful Christian leaders this year. And so it's very important for us to continue keeping on and seek to do the best we can to fill their shoes. And we don't do that by ourselves. We don't do that by our own strength. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit and his guidance. So I hope that this encourages you today. And I am super proud of you, Lydia. And I just hope that more people will follow her example. Well, as we wrap up this show today, I just wanted to share with you some comments that were made on The View this past week. I told you last week that Tim Scott was preparing to go 
on the view. And so I'd like to, to give you the opportunity to listen to some of the comments that he made while he was on the show. Senator, I, I am actually happy that you're here. We, we, we have some things in common. You grew, up, you grew up in a single family household, single mother household. I grew up with both of my parents, but raised in the Bronx projects amidst a lot of poverty and, and, and uh, violence. And you are the first black senator elected in the South since the Reconstruction. That would be about, I think, about 114 years. Yet you say that your life disproves uh, left leftist lies and and my question to you is i'm the exception right you're the exception maybe even miss whoopi goldberg is the exception but but, but we are not the rule (laughs) and so when it comes to racial inequality it persists in in five core aspects of life in the u.s economics education health care criminal justice and housing at nearly every turn these achievements were fought threatened and erased most often by white violence. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex- or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive disgusting message to send to our young people today that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but I can't it imagine, is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% unemployment in the African-American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. 40% homelessness and 50% of, of African-Americans of the folks get, in our community. get 13% oh, of the population. You have a chance to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful, so I'm going to do the that same thing. That is true. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed in having faith in God, mm-hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids, would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look just change the stations and see how much progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. Tim Scott came loaded for bear with facts. And when you approach these issues with facts, it's an amazing thing. Sonny Houston made the point that Tim Scott was the first black senator since Reconstruction, which was 114 years ago. And then she proceeded to talk about how bad it was that there were only three black men in the entire Senate. Tim Scott reeled off list after list of places where black people have made tremendous strides and inroads in our culture. He 
talked about news anchors. He talked about elected officials in different areas of the country. And he said, yesterday's exception has become today's rule. Meaning that today a black person can do whatever they set out to do. There are no environmental or societal things that are in place that says that they can't do those things. Are there individuals who may prevent them from doing those things because of their race? There may very well be. There has been racism since the beginning of time, and there will continue to be racism until Jesus comes back. But as far as as far as institutionally, Tim Scott pointed out time after time, place after place that disproved this theory. And yet every time he shared an example, Sonny Houston said, well, that's an exception. So that tells me that to a liberal on the left, no matter how many black people succeed, it will not be enough. Like one thing I wanted to ask them if I was there is you say three black people in the Senate isn't enough. What's that number that would be enough? Not to mention the fact that I do not vote for someone based on their skin color. If there were 25 out of 50 senators that were black but they had family values ideals and were changing the country by standing up for godly principles, I would be ecstatic about that. It's not just a matter of having a certain number of bodies that are the right color. It's a matter of having people of conscience, no matter what their color is. So often... We think of this as the only criteria, race as the only criteria. I think about this in sports, too, when people say there aren't enough general managers who are uh, of color, and there aren't enough owners who are of color. It's important for us to realize that we need quality people in all walks of life, regardless of their skin tone. And the reality is, as I have said many times on this podcast before, what Whoopi Goldberg and Sonny Houston should be doing is saying, we have achieved success, we have overcome obstacles to get where we are, this is how we did it, please join us in being successful and contributing to the American dream. Don't get hung up on what color you are, Or what color the guy across from you is. The beauty in America is that many people from all walks of life can come together here and succeed. For the Culture Watch Podcast, this is your host, Andrew Gomison, saying, Have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 